India actually, we're such a large country, we generate so much waste. But we are one of the largest net importers of waste. In our country, we don't segregate at the source. So when they're collecting waste from house to house, no one's separating even a wet and a dry. And the minute you do that, the, the, that waste is not recyclable, it's not reusable. I don't even think most people know between wet waste and dry waste. You're doing some absolutely incredible stuff on that front, I feel. Thank you. You made me rethink a lot, which is great because I'm taking this back to my team tomorrow and we're brainstorming all of this. The world is going to end in 20 years if we continue this way. I mean, I think most people were waiting for that in 2012. <laughs> oh, most people were counting the days. All our products are made from recycled, recyclable, biodegradable, compostable materials and they're all custom made um, for our clients. How do you convince the government that right now we need to reduce the use of petroleum in India while India is in its maximum growth stage in the past, I don't know, centuries? At the end of the day, it comes down to priority. So Priyanka, you have busted a massive myth for me. I don't like these questions. Hi, I'm Priyanka Javeri. I'm the co-founder of The Men Packaging. Uh, the world clearly has a huge problem in terms of uh, climate change. And one of the major reasons is the amount of waste that's generated by every country. And packaging is actually one of the largest contributors of landfill waste. So um, stemming from that, we are India's first sustainable packaging company. And we transform discarded materials to um, create innovative packaging solutions. And we work with a variety of materials to sort of, um, you know, write from flex, hemp, seed paper, cloth, bioplastics, paper, board, whatever it is, so that we can work with every industry and be a good fit for every client. And um, one of the major things that we're also doing, trying to do through our social media channels is educate our consumers about how to live a more sustainable life. And you know, one thing we always say is you don't need to be 100% sustainable. You don't need to be perfect in terms of sustainability, but all your baby steps always add up. So um, those are the two things we focus on. And in terms of packaging, right from uh, packaging design, structural design, execution, uh, delivery, manufacturing, as well as you know circular packaging of uh, circular packaging solutions, disposal, waste management solutions, we take care of it um, all. There is finally that push that you know sustainability needed. I think that push is finally here. It is, but then there's also companies. And now again, going back to, you know, us being in a country like India, if I am a company that owns a product that is worth five rupees, my selling price is seven rupees, my end consumer, who's probably in a tier three or tier four city, do they want to pay two rupees extra to get a sustainable product or get sustainable packaging? No, they don't. It doesn't matter to them. For them, their main criteria is getting that product at a low cost. Should be the other way around. It should be two, two rupees extra for using a petroleum product. That needs to happen. But then you need intervention from the government. Absolutely. Which right now, you know, we're seeing, we're not seeing that much of sadly. And even if the government is intervening, it's, um, you know, no one's being held accountable. I think that's our biggest problem. There is no accountability for any company, any consumer whatsoever. So the whole point is wherever there is no money to be made, right? But there is the greater good. That's where the government needs to come in. For example, healthcare, military. Oh, you know, the, the capitalism versus, uh, you know, social impact, greater good, whatever you, however you want to call it. No, 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 no. So capitalism is misunderstood best for the stakeholder and stakeholder is anybody and everybody who is impacted by your company. Environment is very much of a stakeholder in a company, right? Now the question becomes that does the government realize that it is supposed to be a referee in these kind of things? Does the government reali realize that 10 years, 20 years down the line, it might be an unbreathable, unsustainable, unlivable country if we continue in the manner that we are? I don't even think it's an eventuality that's 10, 20 years down the line. We're seeing it happen year on year, every, I mean, I, at least in India, we're seeing it. Dude, you saw it in Canada with the wildfires, what the state was, what, three months back? No, lesser, lesser. Yeah, like it was crazy. 
we've had the hottest year since i think 1980 or so i'm not clear on the facts but it's been getting hotter and only today i read an article about how in the next you know uh, 30 to 40 odd years northern india is going to have such bad heat waves that survivability is going to be questionable so if that's not a sign i don't know what is but the sad part is like there was recently um, a statement made by uh, the minister of environment in india that said india contributes to 17% of the global population but we are only responsible for 4% of climate change so we are not the problem but we will help find a solution great you'll help find a solution but i think everyone is part of that problem because the minute you say i'm you know i'm here i'm here to help even that 4% is something you need to try and cut down just because you think in relative terms you're less than every other country doesn't make you good the the point is it's not a race yeah. right and when it's when it's not a race and when you look at the local clusters when you look at a place like delhi so i'm from panipat and from delhi which is like it's very difficult to breathe i land there i start coughing and it, it, you can smell it you can feel it you are, your health is going down it's it was some equivalent of a pack of cigarettes a day that that is your 4% you'd keep talking about this 4% right and this 4% is completely destroying the country bombay you're seeing whales or dolphins or whatever was coming out in covid why are they coming out that is your 4% right here we have massive lands in canada massive greenery you know massive green belts in canada in the us there's a lot of greenery a lot of areas with no population india's packed india is jam packed and each packing has its own local cluster of pollution which is very difficult to digest 100% and now there's so much more industrialization as well right which they're not taking into account at all because that's leading to so much more pollution uh then you have before the more roads you're creating the more space you're giving for more cars to exist and it's i don't know i think you know even the government in the terms of how they speak are sort of caught between like should we go for industrialization or are we going for sustainability because sometimes both can't work hand in hand i don't have an answer for that either yeah it's it is a it is a you know what do you weigh how do you weigh what you weigh and you know then you have to then get into the thing where you they they their road technology which has like solar powers things underneath where you can you know where the roads get powered by the like you know they can generate electricity by the cars that go on to it and there's a lot of other technologies like there's a lot of alternate technologies that are coming up obviously things are going to get like you know that much more expensive and you're spending that much more money so you have to see the economic feasibility of it all because as we said like it's great to have this conversation but that 2 rupees really matters to most of india and if we just look at india like if 5 cents 10 cents is mattering to the average american even 1 rupee 2 rupees matters to the average indian because that is a massive massive deal for them and the thing is it's not just 1 rupee 2 rupees right it keeps adding up if you have 1 rupee 2 rupee to every single thing you're purchasing that whole thing just keeps adding up Priyanka, if you don't exist, and if companies like like yours don't exist, what does the world look like in twenty years, thirty years, forty years? Take take your number. I mean, I recently saw, um, you know, there was those images of like landfills just covered in tons of waste from apparel companies. There was a lot filled with like packaging waste. I mean, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be polluted. It's going to be because you know the more and more we use. Um, you know like i said packaging is the largest contributor to landfill um waste and if none of it is degrading if there is no way for any of it to go it's slowly slowly going to take over because there those your plastics and your unsustainable materials are actually living longer than humans are so eventually that's going to catch up with us and so you know when we say that a box is biodegradable and any packaging that we make one in a you know people are less likely to recycle a product today if you know you had three products and it said you have to drop this off in three different bins you're probably not going to do it but if i am already giving you a product that's made from recycled materials you're you're already doing your bit in that sense and if that product were to end up in a landfill so you know a paper is biodegradable uh the inks we use are toxin free so it won't contaminate groundwater on disposal our adhesives are starch based so 
in six to eight months, that box is not going to exist. And I think that's what we need to aim for. And, um, you know, there's so many times you go to a festival and there'll be a, there'll be a bin for dry waste, there'll be a bin for wet waste. And you'll be like, okay, I have French fries. There's a little bit of ketchup there. Where does it go? You know, and I think that also comes from the fact that consumers are not aware. So if you are not aware, how are you, how are you supposed to make such an informed decision? And I remember when I heard the statistic, I was actually shocked because we're actually, you know, when we buy recycled paper, because it's imported, we're actually paying import duties to make recycled paper. So instead of it being cheaper, it's more expensive for me to use a sustainable product than to use something that's made from virgin fibers, which is why people opt for it. Priyanka, this is a very common theme with any sustainable product, which is that it tends to be more expensive. Right. However, coming back to India and how you were saying about wet waste and dry waste and recycling, I think number one, we're not used to having dustbins at festivals and people throwing things in dustbins because we're very used to just, you know, throwing it where we're standing. So I think it's it's going to be a gradual process. Also, I don't know how many people, if you say, okay, this is to be recycled, know what recycling is. So today I can say, like, you know, airports and all have these multiple bins, or at least they seem to have these multiple bins. I don't know how effective these multiple bins are. But I think a couple of things that have to be done is, number one, obviously wet waste and dry waste is easy to relatively easy to you know distinguish between or you can have say food waste and all other waste but in terms of recycling and in terms of you know separating in that sense there has to be an easier way to either educate people about it or you know when the garbage is being collected when the waste is being like you know processed from house to house and it's going to like the place where it's sort of aggregated and then goes further out to landfills and wherever I think there has to be some way that it can be sorted either at that point, because I don't think people are aware of the differences. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest issues, lack of awareness and lack of accessibility, right? So even if I wanted to buy a sustainable product, it's not as accessible to me. Now, me being someone who's, you know, on social media, who's reading a lot, who's, you know, doing my research, yeah, maybe I'll find it. But for your average Indian consumer, they are not going to know where to go. So they are going to go for the option that's most accessible, right? Which is your largest problem. And in terms of awareness, they don't even know about the impact that it's having on the environment. So, you know, even when we started and um, I was calling like paper vendors to um, to check if they have recycled paper. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, recycled paper. It's paper. So all paper is eco-friendly, which is so untrue. But that's what... You know, packaging is a very unorganized market in uh, in this country, but uh, that's what they believe. And then that's what they tell consumers. So then, a consu- uh, you know, a client will come to me and be like, this guy said it's eco-friendly. So I'll believe he's eco-friendly. I'll take his cheaper price versus coming to you. So there's also no transparency in terms of the materials being used. There's no transparency in terms of the processes. And, um, you know, I, I guess this is sort of, uh, going on a little bit of a tangent, but coming back to government intervention, there's actually no government body that certifies a sustainable product in India. So besides bioplastics that require a CPCB code, right, which states that this is a bioplastic, it's not a plastic because they decided to ban single-use plastics. Great. But if I am using a sustainable product, there's no way for me to tell whether it's sustainable or it's just, um, you know, been marketed that way for me to think that, okay, I'm probably doing some good when I'm really not. So Priyanka, you have busted a massive myth for me. I was one of those who thought that all paper is eco-friendly. <laughs> so what what is, the, what is the difference between sustainable recycled paper and regular paper? And why is one eco-friendly and one not? Sure. So the one of the main things with paper and what vendors usually like to use is most paper comes with like a thin film of plastic. Now that paper, so the paper might be, okay, great. You've cut a tree and they'll, they'll say, which is unsustainable in itself. Now you made the paper, that plastic actually helps when you're printing on that paper, your colors appear brighter. It's more vibrant. You get that print and that luxurious finish that you want. 
with recycled paper and next time you know you want to check if it's recycled if you just tear a bit of the paper the inside will actually be grayish brown if it's not it's virgin paper because it's completely coated and so recycled paper actually absorbs a lot more color so your print is more dull so you have to find ways of you know sort of altering your artwork to make it look brighter so when you print it on that paper and that absorption happens you're still getting the output that you wanted so with paper that's one way to tell but with most products it's it's very hard like so with something like a fabric everyone says yeah it's sustainable because it's reusable but sometimes people don't reuse it so if it's being tossed then what like the same with plastic right like people say yeah we can keep reusing plastic bottles no one reuses it again it's thrown you know this this distinction makes a lot of sense because paper is a highly ab- absorbent material right and the moment you have that as you said uh, unadulterated paper it absorbs more of what is being put on it so therefore you need to you know what are some like how do you guys deal with this and how are you making your packaging look as good or you know how are you competing with the look aspect of it and what what are you guys doing in that sense sure so one thing that uh, you know we're really pushing for is material transparency so when we are dealing with clients as well based on the paper that we give them we will give them a construction certificate now a construction certificate will essentially give you sort of all the ingredients that go into making that paper so it'll be like 100% recycled fibers or 70% recycled short fibers and calcium and whatever else that goes into it so your client knows that what's being used is actually what we're saying it is and then you can obviously tear it and figure it out that works for paper and like i said in terms of artwork and making it more aesthetically pleasing we do adjust the artwork and colors a little bit and another thing that uh, we use is we use a biodegradable uh, water based coating so that mimics plastic it's not the same look you're not going to have the same gloss and shine but it will still protect um your product in terms of um, uh you know tearing or colors not coming as bright so you know we have a solution to that it's just not 100% like you're never going to be able to mimic plastic exactly when it comes to you know that lining on paper but also brands need to sort of accept that and be like okay this is great this is good enough i'm mimicking traditional packaging in every way i can so an iphone box for example it's not going to look any different if we make it or you know it's made from virgin fibers it's going to look exactly the same and i think that's one of the few things when we started out was like busting the myths around sustainable packaging like if i told you i did sustainable packaging the first thing that comes to people's mind is like a brown cardboard box you know minimal black lettering on it like no one thinks beyond that and so we are like and they'll be like oh it's sustainable is it still durable is it strong it probably won't hold my product it's so ugly so you know those are the myths that we're trying to break that we can do exactly what you want with sustainable packaging that you have with traditional packaging same durability same design same aesthetic same strength but you know i i think that was one of our biggest challenges bringing in customers and now that customers are aware cuz you know we finally have like client work to show and like pictures to show saying okay this is it we made this and it's made completely from waste people are starting to like you know believe it more so i think that's been um, uh, good and like we said more and more companies are trying to go towards sustainable packaging and because packaging is such a low hanging fruit for every industry right we're just like you do you you focus on your product we'll take care of the packaging there's nothing that needs to change in terms of sustainability as we spoke about already that sustainable packaging or sustainable products are often more expensive than their virgin part counterparts yeah what are some of the ways can you give us three ways that you have sort of brought the costs down sure so uh, you know like i mentioned india is a net importer of waste so the minute you import that waste and you're paying that 100% duty on your paper it's getting too expensive for the client as well as for you to even pitch to a client so something that we did is we work with uh, you know we have a network of waste management partners so we work with local waste management partners and smaller local paper mills and we sort of have that segregated waste sent to them so that they can make us paper locally and we're getting it at a same or similar price to virgin paper 
because the only thing that's actually increasing the cost that much are your duties which is which is so sad because that's something that needs to be subsidized you know especially if the government wants to promote sustainability then your sustainable products in every way or your sustainable raw materials even need to be subsidized in some sense i'll play devil's advocate massive economies are built on petroleum products petroleum products are cheaper to manufacture and petroleum products give access to the many in a very quick form england was built on petroleum us was built on petroleum china is built on coal we are a very young economy there are tiers to problems there are easier problems to solve and more important ones that a country faces and then there are more difficult problems to solve as well as lesser in importance compared to the other problems india as an existence currently faces a lot more problems than america or canada or england or germany per se than the developed nations as we like to put them in a bucket right when we talk about subsidization subsidization happens via tax money so people who pay their taxes those taxes go to companies and government pays the deficit to the company which means that government will pay the net difference of the subsidy to the company saying that the company still gets its entire price while the people are paying lesser government of india right now their priority you know as a developing nation is probably like like i said sustainability doesn't come high on their list sadly it's still lower down which is what i said in terms of the statement right like we are not contributing as much relative to other countries so why focus on that when we have other problems to focus on whether it's you know something like poverty it's it's hunger it's getting it's employment whatever it is those are more important to india right now so i think one of the things then the government needs to do and this happened with the bamboo toothbrush actually so when the bamboo toothbrush came in all those years ago it actually cost close to 200 rupees for a single toothbrush and people didn't want to buy it and the more people pushed it the more it was marketed the more the government promoted it as well it didn't cost them anything to do that the more they promoted it because of the demand that india has created for that bamboo toothbrush it now costs you 20 rupees in a span of 5 years right so that is possible so i understand that you need to you want to prioritize other things especially in a developing nation like yeah 80% of your country doesn't care about sustainability they need food they need shelter you know those are their priorities compared to whether the product they're getting is sustainable so i think it needs to come a lot from your larger corporations where your corporations are saying okay we have set these goals these are our measurable targets this is our plan and the government can hold me accountable or my consumers can hold me accountable so i think in a country like india it needs there needs to be more intervention from the government and the businesses rather than um you know your your rural consumer you know india as a culture as a heritage is so beautiful because when you talk about the past even the present like in the in the southern side of india you would see people eating on banana leaves and i was seeing this documentary in which there's this australian chef from master chef i don't remember his name but he goes throughout india and celebrates festivals with different different parts of india right so he did an episode on onam and over there there were like 10000 people who were supposed to feed and to feed them they were doing it on banana leaves and the net waste on that is zero right but i am conditioned in a manner where for me there is something wrong with eating on banana leaves right i would rather eat on plates and even there i would rather eat on like a plastic or on a glass plate than i would eat on a steel plate because steel plate again feels you know lower market is the word people people like to use it right and all of the other things might be more sustainable so similar to your toothbrush example right so we used to brush with i think the what stick neem stick or some some stick right of a tree and then plastics come in and we completely transform ourselves over to plastics mhm yeah can we use culture as catalyst to go forward in the sustainability direction 
Definitely. And, you know, we were actually having a conversation about this uh, some time ago. We uh, we do this annual sustainability summits. We have people from all over the world and different stakeholders in the industry come in to talk about the future of sustainability. And someone from the uh, the U.S., one of our participants from the U.S., she said, you know, your your target, your sustainability targets have to be segmented. So when you're talking about the 80%, the 20%, your 5%, your 1%, there needs to be the way you put sustainability, the way you are trying to make that change happen, the way you're conducting that dialogue has to be very different. And, you know, there's a lot of um, memes on the internet as well, right? You see, like, India actually, as a country and as a community, just based on culture, we tend to save all our Tupperware. We get, you know, takeout boxes. You'll have someone storing some other food in it, right? You'll have someone storing achar in it you'll have someone storing peanuts in it it's reused right so as a as in terms of culture like you know there was also that meme where there's just indians we when it comes to toothpaste we'll try to get out every single last drop of that toothpaste before we throw it out i should get the toothpaste tube out from my bathroom it's like it's like completely skinned out you know? <laughs> and i have like three other toothpaste sitting in the in reserves but no they'll they'll wait for their job exactly so it's it's sort of inbuilt this tupperware conversation i remember we were like we'd gone to drop my sister and we were staying in new york for a bit i think 10 days or 12 days and every time we got takeout or anything like that my mom used to save those containers even for those 10 12 days and she diligently reused those containers every time she made some food or she had to send something to my sister or anything like that. So it's a very inbuilt thing that, you know, you always tend to reuse everything you can. And there's that very famous example, right, with that that tin of cookies that used to come with that, with, which now, which is supposed to just always have sewing equipment in it. But uh, yeah, so that way, if you look at it, we in India are very, very good with reusing anything that we deem is worthy of reusability. But we're also as quick at being like, oh no, this is not reusable, chuck it. Yeah. (laughs) So we're very, very quick at passing that judgment as well. So we have to now, I think, somewhere change our definition of what is reusable and what isn't. Yeah. Because if, if a particular takeout container is not plastic, but paper, we will not reuse it. We will throw it away and we will be like, yeah, this is not something that we can reuse or or if we put any of our vegetables in it or something in it, this something might leak or something might rupture or this, you know, this can't be used again and again and again. Whereas with a plastic container, we're very happy washing it and, you know, using it as many times as we want to. I, I want to get in on that point. That That is a very interesting point, right? I'll tell you why. We like to believe paper bags are more eco-friendly than plastic bags. For a paper bag to be eco-friendly, more than that of a regular plastic bag, you need to use the paper bag at least 50 times. For a plastic bag to be eco-friendly, you need to use it some 700 times or some, some, those are the demographics. However, the carbon footprint of manufacturing a paper bag is at least 10x more than the carbon footprint of manufacturing a single-use plastic bag. How do we get these numbers out? You know, these numbers are very confusing. And to most people, you it's much simpler to say, paper bag is eco-friendly. But my paper bag, I use it once. Let's say I go to a mandir, get a prasad, and the paper bag is gone in one use. Right? So how do we educate? This is so difficult. Yeah, and it's, you know, because you said that, it comes back to glass, right? People think, oh, I'm using glass. It's so much better than using plastic. But your carbon footprint with glass is so much higher than manufacturing that plastic bottle. Now, if you're manufacturing that plastic bottle, consuming that plastic bottle and recycling it properly, you'd rather use the plastic bottle. But because we don't do that last bit of recycling, then you're going back to, okay, glass works. I can keep using glass. But then the other thing with glass, like you said, right, you have to use it multiple times for it to even make up for the impact it's had on the environment in terms of manufacturing. It tends to break. It's expensive. So again, people are like, oh, we're not opting for this. So I think, you know, any material you look at, people have an issue with it. So whether it's plastic, whether it's paper, whether it's 
um, you know, tin, whether it's glass, it's it's always an issue. So plastic actually is not that harmful to manufacture. It's just it never degrades. It's the same with glass, though. I don't know how long it takes glass to degrade. The other thing, though, that I just, that I found out recently was that in India, the number of pet bottles or like the bottles that we get our water and coke and all that in 90% of pet bottles are recycled in India. It's one of the highest percentages of, yeah, I was, I in fact just fact checked myself and uh, yeah, 90% of uh, pet bottles are recycled and the recycling rate is 90%. I was, I was shocked when I, yeah, I was shocked myself when I heard that number, but that's impressive. Yeah, funnily enough, we speak, We spoke so much about the lack of recycling that we have in certain areas. No, but it's actually interesting because we went for a concert, I think sometime last year, and they had bins at, at every exit or, you know, near every food stall or drink stall or whatever it was. And at every place that they had a bin, they had one person standing there telling that person exactly which bin they should be throwing their garbage in. So... I think that was super helpful because there was one person who knew what was going on, knew what was supposed to be done. And literally just standing there policing people like this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. And if that becomes, you know, a normal part of, say, something like an event or a concert where you have your maximum usage in terms of your plastic bottles, your, um, you know, wastage in terms of paper plates, plastic cups, whatever it is, maybe people will start, you know, remembering that and start like it'll become a habit no 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 in canada we have three bins so we're supposed to maintain three bins even at the house there's supposed to be a recycle bin there's supposed to be a regular bin and then there's supposed to be a compost bin you're supposed to if you don't do that there's a 200 dollars fine if if they find non-recyclable material with recycled material there's a 200 dollars fine it's the same as traffic rules, right? So people in Canada, in the US, they'll drive very well. Because if you don't drive well, there are massive fines. You might be down like $1,000, which is 60,000 rupees or 70,000 rupees for those in India, right? It's a lot of money to pay for like driving. $200 for garbage is like 12,000 rupees for garbage, for putting something wrong. So you become conscious, you have to, you don't have an option or you'll just go broke over your garbage. Now, I think there's a similar scheme that was started in India some time ago, where the government was offering tax rebates for buildings that correctly recycle their waste. So then they would give like a 10 to 15% tax rebate on their property tax. The problem is, I'll talk about it today, 90% of the people I'm talking to don't even know that exists, because the government clearly hasn't marketed that enough for them to, you know, have to have, have to give that sort of uh, money back to your your buildings or societies so i think like you said it needs to be the other way around like either you do something like you as a government do something about it or then you make consumers more conscious when you're ensuring that you know like you said they feel obligated to or more conscious about um their day-to-day practices it's so it's so successful in delhi super successful in delhi right so what they did is they put cameras everywhere and now when you're in Delhi, you feel like you're being watched all the time. So you have to drive proper. Same. They've done the same thing in Calcutta. There are now speeding cameras, red light cameras everywhere. And you get a text message instantaneously. So there are certain places where now people are not speeding and where people are driving in a better way. However, the downside with this is that you're trying to find loopholes. So you know exactly where the cameras are placed and where they're not placed. And then you tend to end up like, you know, you tend to break the rules elsewhere. And the thing with India and fines is the moment the fines are manually handed out, there is always a way to avoid the fines. So you all, you have that conundrum as well. Yeah, the police is paid so low that if the fine is too high, let's say the fine is a thousand rupees. The police will tell you that, oh, you know what? The fine is thousand rupees. You give me 200. I won't find you. What are you going to do? So whenever, again, you know, goes back to the conversation of wherever you need welfare, you need a police, uh, a referee. Wherever you need good for the society and for the long run, which people will not realize now, you need government intervention, right? Yeah. 
more than a referee you need a well paid referee <laughs> because otherwise there is always a way around it yeah and i think people are just not held accountable so uh, my father actually works um, in the export industry so he exports garments all over uh, europe and germany the government of germany actually last year came up with a rule with a list of fabrics right so they said these are the sustainable fabrics if you don't use any of these fabrics you cannot export or manufacture in our country and it came down to that so now every every person who exported anything to germany manufactured anything in germany was scrambling to sort of you know source those materials and use those materials because otherwise they wouldn't have a business left and you need like 18 or 19 like certificates certifications to prove that you're actually using all of these fabrics and that comes from the government because i don't think anyone else has that much hold or accountability when it comes to a business or a consumer but it's so interesting how that happened i don't know how that would work in a like we said right in a country like india because there's no one holding you accountable how do we change it that's the question of the century <laughs> like i said baby steps you know i think it needs to work from both the consumer side business side and there needs to be government intervention and everyone needs to take those smaller steps towards a more sustainable tomorrow like it's something that needs to be just ingrained as part of your like you know my business operations that i'm trying to do this and the sad part is which is what uh, you know we've been noticing a lot like csr sustainability all of these have become such buzzwords you know like people are just throwing it in because they say oh yeah sustainability is trending esg is trending like let's include this word so it's great for marketing like we can show where a sustainable company when we're really not and when you actually think about it there's no real i mean there is a definition to sustainability but people define that word very differently so me as a company i'm saying i am a sustainable company because i use you know my raw materials are sustainable there's an apparel company that's saying I am sustainable because I only use renewable resources. There's another company that's saying, "Oh, I'm doing these buyback programs, so I'm being sustainable as well because I'm reusing." So there's no definition of it, right? It's all relative. Everyone will say, "I am sustainable because I did this, this, or this," but I think a lot of companies, and it's really sad, are using it more as a buzzword or a marketing gimmick rather than doing something about it. Again, lack of accountability. we need a governing board in india that actually one has some sort of certification system where you say okay i certify that this is sustainable have 100 criteria for that that's fine but you know there needs to be some kind of like parameter that states that this product is sustainable there needs to be some amount of accountability for businesses marketing themselves um as sustainable so there's actually this unfcc certification a lot of companies have been using it it's something that's free and you can download if you're not and you you sort of like check boxes saying i did this i am sustainable these were my savings i checked my resources but no one's holding you accountable so if you haven't done it it doesn't matter right so i think it's a little bit of everything that just needs to come together and sort of push this forward but i think the first step is really just i i think government intervention in business business is taking a I have a very nice, very uninformed, and very uneducated uh, answer to your problems. Please tell me; I'd love to hear. A private company could come in, and a private company instead of a government company could start auditing for the ESG certificate. For example, in the US, we have this thing called a chartered financial analyst, right? A CFA. CFA is completely privatized, but when you pass the exams for the CFA. the certificate that you get is recognized by all financial institutes saying that oh yeah this person knows finance right so because the government cannot place it on a higher priority and because the government cannot place esg as a whole environment social and government governance on a higher priority why not let the private sector take it so you know it's interesting because it's actually something we tried to do and then people in india are like okay but the government didn't say it so how does it matter who are you right it's about getting to that point where people can say okay yes you are now credible enough that the government recognizes you so it's again that whole thing that how do you as a company get the government to recognize you because for that you need to have x number of people who you have certified and how do you get people to let you certify them without the government having recognized you 
you need five ten people to trust you. Yeah, pretty much. It's a it's a complete chicken and egg problem. And it exists everywhere. It's funny to see the number of industries this problem exists in in its own way. And you know, everywhere you're thinking, okay, what do I do? It exists for us. You know, today, how are we as Thought Bistro appealing to you as a founder? Today, we don't have that many people were viewing us. We are still getting to that. We are still building that base up. Until we build that base up, we are not attractive to founders. And until we don't have founders who people want to listen to, how do people come to listen to us? So it just that problem comes again and again in so many different ways. But anyway, coming back to sustainability and coming back to certification, how what are you guys at Mend doing so that you can say yes, this is the one, two, three, four, five things that we are doing so that that says that we are sustainable. What are the standards you all are holding yourself to? I'll I'll add a little bit to his question too. So, when you talk about people, are now you you are advertising to people saying that I am green or I am environmentally friendly means that people have started looking for environmentally friendly. When people are looking for environmentally friendly, you could just completely change your approach to let's make people even more environmentally friendly while waiting for the referee to come in. Right? So what is men doing to do that? So uh, just to start off with in terms of what we're doing in terms of sustainability and sort of transparency. So the way our process works, you know, I've given you a brief on the company. A client will approach us. They'll place their order. Right after that order is delivered, we uh, will send that construction certificate, right? Saying that these were the ingredients that went into your paper. These were your inks used. Like this is what was done. And then we will give them a summary of statistics that says, you know, by using this paper, by using these inks, your savings in terms of water has been this much. These are the number of trees you saved. These are the, you know, this was the amount of... Um, waste that you diverted from landfill, landfills, this is the energy you save. So, you know, it's a, it's a report that we send the clients so they know exactly what the impact they've made is. And I think that sort of also helps clients understand, okay, we're not just another packaging company. We're giving you real numbers here. Then going one step forward, like, like we said, we go beyond that and we tell clients we are part of a, comp- uh, a movement called Ecology where we plant an employee, uh, we not a plant an employee. We plant a tree for every employee every month. Priyanka, please don't plant employees. <laughs> we we don't want people <laughs> growing on trees. There are enough people in India already. <laughs> oh God, that would be a nightmare. People in India are already growing on trees, man. True. I think I think we're if you had to come up with some equivalence, I think people are growing on trees. I don't know how much good and skilled people are growing on trees, but people are definitely growing on trees. True. But um yeah, so one of the things that we're doing is we're telling clients that we can help you go one step further, right? So we will help you offset the waste that you create. So for example, if you are a company that's manufacturing bottles, right? And your waste generated is say 70 kgs per month. We will recycle that amount of waste in in your name so that we know that your carbon footprint is is reducing. That's one. Num- number two is the planting trees. Number three is your um, extended uh, producer's responsibility. So, you know, for larger companies, it is an environmental policy where um, you have to extend the lifetime of your product. So companies are obligated. And, you know, for larger companies, it's mandatory. For smaller and mid- mid-sized companies, not that much. So we help people take care of their EPR. In terms of their CSR services, we have ways that we can not only educate their consumers, but we will also find, um, we can also consult and help you find solutions on how to make your everyday business practices more sustainable, how um, you can um, dispose of your waste properly. Is there a buyback program that, you you know, for uh, some of our larger beauty brands that buyback product when they have a buyback program, when they have a larger retail presence is easier to do. Maybe you can tie up with schools. Maybe at every store that you have all over the country, if you drop off, um, you know, your six empty containers, you get a free lipstick. And it's something, I think at the end of the day, like 
you know, when we're working with our clients, we're also understanding so much more about what their consumer needs and what they need as a business and what their employees need. And we sort of cater it that way. What, what about manufacturing? Uh, we work with a vendor network all across the country. So we don't manufacture ourselves. So how do you enforce any of these on the vendors or how are you making sure that they are doing? So we ensure that all of our vendors are using our raw materials, right? Like I said, we work with our local paper mills and then we have distributors that distribute to our vendor network. And um, so we have that proof of payment in terms of them picking up from that that particular um, distributor itself. Um, that's um, one. And um, in terms of dealing with the vendors, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're not in the same uh, place as the vendor in terms of communication but the reason also we wanted to do this is a lot of people like a lot of your tier two cities in terms of like i said packaging is an unorganized market they don't have access to packaging vendors or good quality packaging so they always go to you know your metro cities to sort of source that because your quality is better your raw materials are cheaper like it just makes more sense and the minute you do that the carbon footprint you're causing with you know, um, your transportation, your transportation costs, your transportation time, overall, all of that can be reduced. So one thing we do is, if you are sitting in Calcutta, I will work with a vendor closest to you to execute your order. If I don't have a vendor in Calcutta, for example, I will work with the next best option. If there are no vendors in Calcutta whatsoever, which usually is not the case, but um, we will work with one closest to you just to ensure that your carbon impact is not that high. So even when we're giving you that sustainability sustainability report, like I mentioned, right, all of this plays a role. Priyanka, let's hone in on the carbon offset. So Vishud and I had this episode. And in that episode, we really discussed these carbon offsets and carbon contracts, right? Carbon contracts in the US are largely a scam. Why are they a scam? Is your company produces this much carbon or your company has produced the right to produce this much carbon. You are not going to produce as much carbon. So why don't you sell me the rest of the carbon things that you have? And then I'll show them that I could have produced this much carbon, but I have not produced this much carbon. So I am net carbon neutral, right? Another way of doing this is purchase a forest and then say that in this forest, amongst these five trees, I will not cut these trees because I did not cut these trees. They would have been cut in the first place. So all of their carbon offset is now mine to own. So even though I produce more carbon because I didn't cut these trees, that carbon didn't go away. Right. When you say I'll plant a tree, how do you measure how much carbon offset that tree actually does? How do I know you actually planted the tree? How do I know that tree was planted because of me? So to answer your question, you know, about the trees, so the way ecology does it is that um, uh, it's it's a program, it's a global um, uh, program, I think it's headquartered in in Europe. What uh, they do is they say, okay, fine, I'm paying for each tree, right? So I'm paying for that, that tree to be planted, I'll get the coordinates of that tree. And they will give me that carbon impact. So if you go on our website and you click on ecology, you will be able to see our data of how many trees have been planted according to the number of, you can check it out, right? <laughs> it's ecology, E-C-O-L-O-G-I. So it, it actually gives you that data, which I think, you know, maybe maybe it's a scam. Who knows? Data can also be... <laughs> be like manipulated but it's giving you that data which actually builds your trust in a client oh i love the honesty man i am so happy with this just you going like we got we got you to a (laughs) we got it to a point where you just went no i'm just you know i I was talking about it and then i yeah but there is a possibility that that data is all fake Yeah, I was just thinking about it. I mean, anyone can produce data, but at the end of the day, data is also what builds trust. I mean, the whole world is working on data. If your data is fake, then what is real? I mean, yeah, you can go complete cynic and be like, yeah, that data is fake. This is fake. Everything is fake. The world is coming to an end. We're all going to die. Like, you know, you can, that that's always a very easy doomsday, doomsday soothsayer approach. So, I mean, well, we can all be that. Why can't we? But I think we'd all like to look at the positives. Let me throw another spanner in the mix. I don't like these questions. 
let's say let's say you go into the discovery of ecology now after this conversation and you're like i am not convinced they are doing what they say they are doing right what other method could you use to actually do a carbon offset why not plant trees in the local clusters in india where we are living because that would be the easiest way to do it yeah so there are actually a lot of companies in india that will do that for you it all goes back to not having a certification not having credibility not having that data because we don't have the technology to build that trust so right now we're doubting okay is this data real but if i have no data to begin with then how do i ever know so i i think that's uh, that's what it is and you know in terms of carbon offset it, it's tricky right because you're saying i am not doing this so i am sustainable but i also think that that is one step forward because otherwise if today i said okay i have 10 rupees i spent 8 yeah i have savings but if i have 10 rupees and there's nothing happening to me i'll spend all 10 it's not making any difference to me so i think in that sense like then companies are like okay i have a point to prove so even that 2% if every company is doing it will eventually help and like i said in the beginning right we always say smaller steps so if it is convincing a company like let me not do this it might be a step in the right direction i just want to add like say that but the thing is they're not saying that i have 10 rupees i've spent it to is saving they are saying i have i earned 10 rupees i spent it so i actually earned two more so they're saying i earned 12 rupees that is where the problem lies or if they say we saved 2 rupees and that's okay that that is completely understandable and that's the way it should work but they are taking that 2 rupees as extra earning the other issue is i earned 10 rupees this year and i saved 2 next year i'll just allocate the budget of 12 and then i will say i earned 2 when i spent 10 and then next year i'll allocate the budget of 16 and i'll say i earned 2 and i'll spend 14 which is also happening then there needs to be someone saying that you're spending over a certain amount or you know polluting over a certain amount where you pay then you're just penalized for it that's the issue that we have with carbon offsets and that's why akhil said that carbon offset is a scam but see like what you're doing for example is that you're saying that if the company is generating 70 kilos of waste you are actively recycling 70 kilos of waste for them so that is still you're saying you're not saying that okay the company could have produced 100 kilos so therefore they have they themselves have re- recycled 30 kilos you are actually doing the recycling there that is why what you all are doing is different from carbon offsets yeah no but i think in terms of epr as well you know um under epr companies are obligated to go through this whole carbon offset system which we don't actually focus on um that much but both in terms of what we are doing is um like i said if you are generating that waste we'll one find a way for you to properly dispose of that waste right so in every state in india your wet waste uh, belongs to the bmc so any waste management company has no authority over your wet waste we cannot touch it all your dry waste we'll tell you how, we'll give you a form and we'll say you know you divide it between electronic waste this waste that waste there's like 32 uh, different categories and when we do that and uh, you know that's how your 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 radhiwalas also work right they'll say you give us this waste and we'll give you like 10 rupees for this waste that you've given to us and now there's actually a lot of companies where they are you know your waste management companies that will pick up that waste for you whatever can be disposed of and properly recycled will be done and anything that's reusable you have a choice of either getting your 5 10 15 whatever rupees for it or they give it to ngos where a lot of these uh, kids actually use it for arts and crafts to like make bags or like you know i i'm sure you'll have seen all those lace bags those bags made out of like lace wrappers and chocolate wrappers that just there's no way of doing anything with them so there's they're finding a way to extend the lifestyle you know going into epr extend the lifetime of that product so that's essentially what we are um uh promoting and then you know for like we said for everything you generate we will recycle that much for you Pranga, you put yourself in a very difficult position, right? I so, know. No, no, no. On a on a daily basis, you are fighting the world and trying to change how the world perceives things, and it is tough. Hence the tough questions, right? Hence the 
my intent is good and I am trying to do the carbon offset. I do not know if it is true or not. And the acceptance of that is incredible. My intent is good. I will recycle or I'll at least attempt to recycle as much packaging as you're using. I do not know how much that works, but at least my intent is good. You are currently using companies whose intent is only not there. So you're doing some absolutely incredible stuff on that front, I feel. Thank you. You made me rethink a lot, which is great because I'm taking this back to my team tomorrow and we're brainstorming all of this. I'm going to come back to you on a lot of things that may not be scams and a lot of data that's hopefully not a scam. 100% Priyanka. We look forward to uncovering all the scams and not all this and the things that are actually true to as much to as greater of an extent as we can because this conversation of scam and where is this money going or is this actually happening is not limited to just carbon offset or planting a tree it's limited it's it extends to so many things today we say ngos and charity and csr this then brings in a much larger conversation where a lot of people where they're like look i have money to give but i don't want to give money here because i don't know where my money is going to go you know, how do you track your money? How do you say that, okay, today if I'm giving money to XYZ organization, how can I hold XYZ organization responsible and how can they prove to me that my money has gone here? So I guess it works in a similar way, at least here with you know planting a tree or something like that, you can, I guess, tie the payment back to something me like, yeah, this is the, this is what was received and this is the certification that was like a lot of a lot of places will send you like a thing that's saying that, hey, here your tree was planted and these are the sort of certificates there or this is the sort of birth certificate of your tree so as to say so a lot of people do do that as far as i remember or what i've heard no no sorry i was just saying that i think you know the largest challenges we faced in this industry and i think most industries probably face it is accessibility transparency and traceability those are three things that regardless of your industry are really lacking in india and, um, you know, like I said, we do this annual sustainability summit. And this year, our topic which was actually traceability and transparency in supply chains and how it's like impacting the future of India. And, you know, at the end of that conversation, I think we're talking for two hours. There's no concrete, like tangible, measurable solutions targets. Like everyone has their opinions, but it's like, you know, you're getting stuck at every point because you need a lot more moving parts to make things happen. So, you know, any small step that anyone can take, like you said, right? If anyone has good intent and is taking that step, no matter how small it is, no matter how insignificant it may be, thousand people making those like tiny steps towards a, a better tomorrow or raising awareness or trying to do that research or recycling, you know, whether it's an act or a, um, or a conversation or really, you know, speaking up about it, I think slowly, slowly, that's all going to add up rather than one person being that hero and saying, I am doing everything and no one else is. So it's always like, you know, thousand people coming together versus one person doing it perfectly is always um, better. And that's what I'm hoping for, um, you know, within our industry and India as a whole as well. So Priyanka, the incredible things that you're doing, I don't think it can be achieved just by one company. I feel like a lot of companies will have to come in the packaging space and actually actively pursue exactly your endeavors. So let's break it down for the viewers. You are you have been in this for three years now. What are the challenges that you have faced? How do you acquire customers? And if you are comfortable, we would love some numbers on here. What kind of revenues you have driven? What kind of costs do you incur? How is it being remote? You know, if, if I were to start your exact thing today and hopefully make it faster than in three years, right? Get there faster than you are. What do you know that I don't know? I think, um, you know, just to start off with the challenges, which is now something that I'm more aware of than I was when we started, is again, going back to accessibility and awareness. There's a lack of awareness both on the vendor side in terms of what actually is sustainable and there's a reluctance in terms of doing that r d to create something that's sustainable um on the 
customer side, there is, again, lack of awareness as to what a sustainable product or sustainable packaging entails. And then that reluctance to pay extra for it. Um, I think, uh, you know, with both these, there has, I think since COVID, we've seen a lot of traction in terms of people wanting to be more sustainable, but again, not knowing where to start. There have been a lot more companies that have come up that are focusing on sustainability. You have sustainability aggregators, packaging, like corporate gifting, like all across. So I, I think for me, um, you know, going back that many years, I know exactly what to expect in, I, I think I have more knowledge, right, in terms of what I need, what I need to do. And, um, you know, one of the saddest things when we started out is um, packaging is also a very male-dominated industry. We are three female founders. And, um, you know, we had a completely female um, ops and sales team as well. And we always had this one, um, you know, male employee. And just the way that um, vendors spoke to, you know, address the female employees versus the male employees, they never took you seriously. After a point, it was like, you know, how do you tackle that issue? Because they're just like, okay, she's just calling. She doesn't know any better. Let me scam her. I know I can charge her more. My male employee would call five minutes later with the same requirement. My cost would be 10 times cheaper. He would be spoken to. I'd have a conversation. I'd have information. I think also tackling that now has been much easier because, you know, what we've realized is you just have to play that as a strength. We came in saying, I know my stuff. This is what I know. This is what I know I'm supposed to expect from you as an answer. And then, you know, really building those relationships, our whole company because we have such a large vendor network across India, I think the foundation of our company lies in building relation, like, you know, human relationships. And um, that's something we also, you know, really inculcate into our team. We, um, we really promote networking. We encourage them to do one coffee chat a week with any stakeholder in the industry. So, you know, whether it's a vendor, it's a client, it's someone in the sustainability space, someone who's an entrepreneur, whatever it is, because it really helps you stay in touch with the industry, what's going on in the world. And more often than not, most industries are facing the same challenges you are. It's just tweaked to, you know, their industry, but your problems are the same. So then you find a way to like build that network and really solve problems together. We always say, you know, like collaborate over compete. Let's get into the money. How much money have you made and are you profitable? We are profitable in terms of revenue numbers. It's actually something we've never discussed. I, but I'll give you some numbers in, um, in terms of traction and, and percentages. So in terms of, um, you know, we've done about, um, we've worked with about a thousand clients so far. Um, let me just pull some up. And, you know, over the last three years, our average order values have been about, um, 80,000 rupees per order on average there are obviously smaller orders larger orders um and we do have um mocus in place but that's been good and um our customer retention rate has actually been increasing which has been something that you know we've been actively working towards because the minute you packaging is something that every industry every client needs all the time so we do like a lock-in period of a um of a month uh, of you know six months to a year to three months where every month, like on a specific date, that packaging will be delivered to their warehouse. So, you know, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to do anything about it. It's just locked in. The price is locked in because also another challenge is that paper prices keep fluctuating. So product prices keep, keep fluctuating. You have to maintain that to, in order to retain your clients. So our customer retention rate has gone up to 34% um, this um, year. And... Um, yeah, I think um, another thing that's been huge for us has been our international orders. So with international orders, usually the quantities aren't so high, but um, uh, you know your uh, order, your your margins are slightly um, higher with you know a Europe or a uh, or a US. Priyanka, if I give you two million dollars today, what will you do with it? Where will you invest the money? Oh, a hundred percent R and D. I think the only way to to you know 
keep staying, you know, encouraging people to use it. One is to make it more accessible, right? And the more technology we bring in, and the easier it is for bring in for us to bring in alternatives to existing uh, packaging, the easier it is for people. it will be for people to switch to so bioplastics is a new technology in india it's still very expensive any if you move from plastic to any other material it's always going to be expensive there's no doubt about it so you move from plastic to paper it's going to be more expensive but because of um, you know the ban on single use plastics people are paying that premium now we need a solution to thermocol we need a solution to plastic and there are countries around the world that do have solutions um but you know all of it costs money it it costs money to bring that equipment it, it costs money to conduct that research so i think that is definitely the way forward like right now we're working on this marine degradable film which essentially mimics plastic in every way but if you put it in hot water it will dissolve in 5 minutes wow right so it's still work in progress but for any of this research right you do need money so so far we've been focusing on okay these are the existing materials that exist in india let's make different packaging designs let's find a way to make it more reusable um let's find a way to like cut down um so you know one of our first clients actually i'll tell you this story on how we sort of went about their packaging and it's a very silly thing but small things can really impact your carbon footprint they used to they sell pants and um they used to have this uh, this large box where they you know would put three pants and then five pants so they had two different box sizes all we did was we changed the way that they folded their pants it saved 33% of the box space it not only saved on their raw material it brought down their shipping cost because instead of being it's calculated by volumetric weight instead of being a 1.5 kg box it was now a 1 kg box so you're saving on your shipping costs you know your your logistics costs per per order you're saving on box costs and you're saving your raw material and you know i think and even in terms of finding so so that's one thing we started doing right these are existing materials let us find a solution for you and um you know we used instead of uh, padded mailers that usually come with bubble wrap we started using like a paper wrap a cushion wrap to sort of have the same effect um of protect i mean the same cushioning and protection for your product but it's made with existing materials and i think one of the main things we're lacking is money in this space because um if we don't have r&d and we're not able to bring this technology or people are never going to have an alternative to move to great stuff priyanka i mean this is just wonderful thank you as much as i would like to continue the conversation and the i think there are so many spaces that are that can still be explored there are so many tangents that can still be explored we'll almost certainly have a part 2 to our conversation <laughs> oh great <laughs> i'd love that we're getting her back once we're at once she's at 1500 clients once she's developed this marine film we're going to speak about all of that oh there's lots in the pipeline we're also experimenting with seaweed so priyanka we have this tradition on our podcast where our previous guest has left a question for you we'd like you to answer that and leave a question for our next guest okay so the question for you is how do you keep up with changing trends in your industry or be it marketing specific how do you keep up with changing trends i think the best way to stay relevant again is to Uh, keep innovating you have to keep creating you have to keep pushing yourself to create new products new designs you know um whether it's new materials yeah that's a more long term goal but like i said we had to stay relevant by saying yeah we have this material what else can we do with it and i think that's the only way to stay on top of it and keep it more you know have, keep it more exciting for your consumer every uh, step of the way and your question hmm 